Welcome to episode 214 of X-Lapsed uh, We are back with the original program That is the uh, good news The maybe not so good news is that uh, Well, we come back with Excalibur And so, uh, let's get into it Let's get right into it here This is Excalibur Volume 4, number 21 Had an August 2021 cover date The story's called Don't Feel Like Dancing Written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe Colors are Eric Arshinaga Letters VCs Ariana Mar Designs Tom Muller Head of X's Hickman Edits, Bisa white Sabolski cover price 4 bucks. went on sale June 9 of 2021. Now, we are still at the Hellfire Gala, of course. We will be at the Hellfire Gala for uh, well, most of the next few weeks. And we open with our team, Excalibur, making their grand entrance into the Hellfire Gala. Now, Betsy leads the way, followed by Gambit and Rogue. Jubilee is carrying Shogo, who gurgles out perhaps his first word since Generation X, which is a party... Also, we got Richter, and he's brooding, because that's Richter's soul-defining characterization right now. Now, Betsy asks Richter if he'll be in an ugly mood all night. He says, eh, you know, I just hate parties. Well, Jubilee calls him out on that, saying that she's seen Julio party down before. And Rick cops to it. Maybe he doesn't hate parties necessarily, he just hates this one. To which I say, well, brother, take a number. From here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Betsy Britton, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother Brian Braddock, Megan, and Pete Wisdom. We jump back to comics, and it is 9.30 p.m. Now, as we know, we're going to be getting bits and pieces of the gala from, you know, the team's point of view. This is going to be Excalibur's view of the Hellfire Gala. It's pretty much what we expected going in. Each book is going to be focused on the POV of the starring characters. No, no big deal with that. That's fine. Now, we have Betsy walking by, and some people off-camera point out that she's wearing something that Jumbo Carnation created. Don't know why this needed a mention, since, you know... Every other friggin' mutant in this book is also, in all these books, actually, is wearing something that Jumbo Carnation created. I swear that maybe the X-Men writers get like an extra two cents in their check if they type Jumbo Carnation into a script. I I can't explain any other reason why they would keep doing it. Now, Richter, he continues to brood. He mocks this gala as a uh, sort of a faux celebration of mutant kind. He cites that the person responsible for their perseverance isn't even here tonight. And that person, of course, is A. Now, he claims that everyone else has forgotten about Apocalypse, but he hasn't. And I figure, um, how do we fix this? Clearly, every day on Krakoa should begin with maybe five minutes of silence in reverence of Apocalypse, right? Maybe, I guess that, that's the only way to do it. Anyway, 
Richter is then grabbed by the shoulder by Shatterstar. Now, Shatterstar, I'm guessing, is fresh off his battle with the Morrigan, which we saw play out over in X-Factor number 9. And as such, he's covered in blood and sweat. He pulls Julio in close, but Rick pulls away. Shatterstar doesn't quite understand why Richter you know, ain't all that happy to see him. Now, if we remember, the Morrigan did do something hinky with Gav and Rick before dying or perishing or just leaving or whatever the hell it was. Maybe this has something to do with that. Maybe it doesn't. I couldn't tell you. Anyway, Richter claims to be busy, and then he drifts away into the sea of mutanity. Betsy tells Shatterstar to maybe make like a tree and get the hell out of here. We jump ahead a little bit to 10.30 p.m. Here, it's announced that Rogue will be one of the new X-Men. Now, Excalibur congratulates her for getting out of this horrible book, and uh, it looks like Gambit will be sticking around, though. I don't know why. Uh, He doesn't seem to like being in Excalibur. He doesn't seem to like taking orders from Betsy, but he'll stick around? Um, Okay, every time he opens his mouth, he's complaining, but he'll stay. Um, Now, what's more, it seems as though he and Rogue won't be living together anymore, sort of, kind of. You see, Rogue will live on Krakoa, and Gambit and the cats will keep living at the lighthouse. Okay. Now, Betsy says that this is kind of odd because, well, it kind of is. Remy tells her, don't worry, because, you know, Rogue's got some plans, and uh, Gambit's got some plans, too. Okay. We jump over to the bar, where Betsy and Jubilee rattle Richter's cage a little bit more. But then, Pete Wisdom saunters up to whisk Betsy away for a dance. He, Pete, that is, is decidedly happy that he does not live on Krakoa, and thus he sidesteps having to wear one of these heinous Jumbo Carnation outfits. And yes, I agree. Now, Pete is here to remind us of one of Excalibur's two plotlines, and uh, that is the Coven friggin' Akaba. Now, you see, this coven, this coven of witches and warlocks, has become politically powerful in Britain. What? Um, What's more, Reuben What's-His-Face is now Britain's ambassador to the United Nations. A coven. Um, I mean, I used to think that the United States had a low bar for what constitutes a politician, but Reuben is a dude who hangs out with cloaked figures. He's he's flanked by cloaked figures on the street, and now he's a power wielder in global politics? Who in the... This is so dumb. Anyway, Reuben was apparently able to sway Britain to his cause by pointing out that their all-new witch-breed Captain Britain was an absentee. So I guess... In the UK, uh, your only choices for protection are Captain Britain or a coven of witches. Seems like, uh, at the very least, an oversimplification. Um, Don't they have a government? Don't they have, like, police, military? No, no. Captain Britain or witches. That's who Britain turns to in their uh, times of need. Now, that said, this is stupid, but that said... Reuben isn't wrong, right? I mean, this book is now 21 issues old. What exactly has Captain Britain done for Britain, right? I mean, as much as I hate to give the devil his due here, he's, he's not wrong. Let's jump ahead to 11 p.m. Now, Reuben and his cloaked goons have called a meeting with Betsy, Xavier, and Emma Frost. It's here where Reuben officially dissolves Great Britain's alliance with Krakoa. 
He claims everything will be on the up and up. He will send all duly signed papers, as well as repossess and return all of the mutant magic meds from his people. So, let me get this straight. An ambassador to the United Nations, you know, one, one man, he is now allowed to make a decision that will affect the entire nation that they represent? I mean, I'm not a politician. I don't know much about global government, but is this how it works? I mean, don't countries have presidents, prime ministers, senates, parliaments? I mean, governments, you know? You know, governments? But Rubin can just decide to dissolve international alliances? Is that is that what we can... This is dumb. Um, what's more, not to go on too deep a tangent here, we just gave this writer another book where she can misunderstand and misrepresent what happens in the corporate world? <laughs> Come on. Now, this oversimplification and just uh, surface-level kind of stuff here reminds me of my time in... In creative fiction here It was very, very short-lived Because, uh, like most things, I'm not very good at it um, I tried doing like the mini-comic thing for a bit And I worked with uh, with folks who were also passionate about creating comics This is probably, boy, 20 years ago Before the technology was there to make this sort of thing easy <laughs> You know, I'm always a step ahead of that sort of thing You know, right now I think you could put out a mini-comic for almost free, right? Uh, or you could publish it to the web for free Back then, we didn't really have that option, uh, or the availability just wasn't as uh, it wasn't as easy to do. So I was talking with some friends about stories, and um, we were putting together this, you know, grand opus, right? And part of it was gonna there was gonna be a storyline that took place in Japan, and my buddy was like, "Okay, well, we're gonna have giant robots and giant uh, lizards attack Japan," and I was like, "Why?" It's like, well, that happens in Japan. And I'm like, does it? <laughs> you know, I know in fiction, Japanese fiction, there are giant robots. And there is Godzilla, right? There are the kaijus and whatever. But do we really want to, like, implement that into our world? Like, do we really want to oversimplify an entire people with giant robot and big lizard? You know, it feels like, you know, at, at, at least an oversimplification, at worst, Highly offensive to a culture I don't know Here we have this thing with like Britain is is witches and warlocks And druids and and magic It's Boy um, Okay let, let's just move on Now Reuben He mentions that Britain will still allow mutants to live there But there won't be any gateways Okay Also if a mutant breaks the law They will have no immunity and they will have to deal with British magic. He actually says this, quote, We can punish witch breed crimes with our own magic. This is awful. Um, oh, and also, their magic, the British magic here, the, uh, the Kovanakaba magic, will supplant the mutant meds. Is this something that is? Like, can they magic up medicine? And if so, why haven't they done it yet? I... Okay. Uh, Reuben also reminds us that the Braddock Lighthouse is on British land and how the mutants no longer have any control over it. So Reuben, in addition to being able to dissolve international treaties and contracts, 
can also evict people from places they own. This is bad. Uh, Xavier hopes that Reuben may one day reconsider. Now, Richter, he's listening at the door, and he butts in to threaten Reuben with his druidness. Reuben, like all of us reading, does not give a rip about the druids. Now, Pete Wisdom holds Richter back. He promises that they'll grab a pint the next day. Then Reuben's like, Wisdom, it's time to go. And so they go. Richter then barges out, claiming to be done with this place. Let's jump ahead to 11.30 p.m. Megan and Brian are chatting on the balcony, and a bartender asks if they want champagne. Megan declines, which baffles Brian, but doesn't even for one moment give him the inclination that his wife might be pregnant. I mean, we are in the world's most unsubtle book right now, and a character is declining to drink alcohol, so of course they're pregnant. Get with the program, Brian. Nightcrawler then bamfs in to kiss Megan on the hand, which reminds me of that odd love triangle that these three used to have back in the early 90s in the original Excalibur book. Now, Nightcrawler immediately knows that Megan is with child, and Brian is still oblivious. So it's a, it's a good thing he's so beautiful, right? Elsewhere, Betsy and Rachel chat for a bit. Then they dance. As they dance, a sound effect plays all around them, and it goes wank, 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 wank. I don't think I want to know what that means. Um, Anyway, Betsy invites Rachel to the lighthouse, and, well, since Rachel's book was just canceled, maybe she'll take her up on it. Info page. It's witch crap, and I'm not going to waste your or my time with it. Back to comics and with the Coven Akaba. Now, Reuben is reunited with the world's scariest PTA mom, the dread Mariana Stern, and they're trying to figure out a way to free Morgan Le Fay. Now, of course, Morgan Le Fay was trapped by Apocalypse back 150 issues ago. Actually, it was probably 150 episodes ago, but uh, she's trapped in the castle in Avalon. She's in that lab under Jamie, Jamie the Weird's court or whatever the hell it is. So the coven decides that the only way to free her is through mutant sacrifice. And wouldn't you know it, they got Pete Wisdom right here. Now, the LARPers... Tackle Wisdom and then plunge a crooked blade into his crooked chest. And this somehow frees Morgan Le Fay. Uh, just don't, th- don't think too hard about it, because I'm sure our writer didn't. Um, now, as this is happening, we can see that Jamie Braddock is elsewhere. He's not on a- in Avalon. He is on a red planet. Oh, man, I wonder what that might mean. Hmm... Scene shift. Richter is at the lighthouse, and he summons a bunch of boring druids. And he even does the whole, to me, my X-Men thing, but with druids instead of X-Men. I think I hate this book. I don't think I've said that yet, but I think I hate this book. Anyway, Richter and the druids carve the land where the lighthouse stands onto its own island, off the British mainland. I'm not sure if this counts as officially taking it back from Britain, but with this book, who could say? Morgan Le Fay escapes Avalon and arrives on Earth, where she waves her hand a little bit and causes some sort of light to emit from the lighthouse. Richter notices this, but he's then distracted by the arrival of Shatterstar. They make nice and get reacquainted. We close out with an info page, of course. Uh, It's Braddock Island. Now, Krakoa is trying to lay claim to this island that they literally, and, you know, I mean actually, just stole from Britain. I, I don't even care enough to put up a fight. Um... 
That's where we leave it. Next episode, we are looking at the final issue of Volume 5 of the X-Men, where we're probably going to be getting our new team officially. So uh, that's actually something to look forward to, and uh, I hope you are as well. But that's next time. Let's, uh, for now, talk about this issue of Excalibur. Um, Now, here's the thing. When a book inspires, I don't want to say a visceral reaction, but a reaction where I, I really just don't like it in a very strong way. Not like a passive dislike, but an active, I don't want to ever read this again, sort of a uh, sort of a dislike. I'll do that thing that folks on the internet never do. I will leave the echo chamber of my mind, and I will uh, maybe not so much solicit um, other opinions, but I'll, uh, I'll take a tour of the internet looking for other opinions. Things that challenge my perception, things that challenge the way that I viewed this thing. Maybe I'll be able to, through the prism of someone else's uh, perception, get an appreciation for this. Now, one thing that I've discovered that comic fans are, are very good at, and uh, I mean, it's for lack of a better term, and I apologize for the uh, potential crudeness of this statement, but it's uh, circle jerking. <laughs> um, we like giving out the high scores because then the creators and publishers will notice us, they'll pat us on the head, maybe they'll share our work, you know, stuff like that. So a lot of undeserving books get high praise here, and I was expecting, for the most part, to find um, this among that number. And indeed, there were some perfect 10 out of 10 scores for this book. None of them could give you any real reasons, though. They were all very, very superficial, like... You know, Howard and Toe continue their epic run, da-da-da-da-da. Like, not telling you anything. Not telling you why you should read it. Not telling you why it's good, but just saying, it's good, and here are the names of the creators, so maybe they'll, they'll see this article. But that was actually not the majority here. The majority, they all fell under a certain formula. Um, bafflement uh, was the tone, but... What they all had in common is that they started with a line. And this is a line that I think, by law, we need to include anytime we're going to uh, critique a writer. And that line is as follows. I'm sure, insert writer here, is a very nice person, but... And then you criticize the book. So you have to tell them they're a nice person first. It's one of those compliment sandwiches, I suppose. So um, I will join in. I'm sure Teeny Howard's a very nice person. I'm sure she's a pleasure to be around. That said, this uh, this book ain't great. Um, I, I mean, the only compliment I can give it is that it's not X Corp. And I mean, that's, uh, that's not high praise. I mean, if you were to tell me 21 issues ago that we would still be dealing with Betsy trying to prove herself to Britain, but not actually doing anything in order to do so. Just kind of saying, I'm wearing your flag. Not doing anything to help the people of Britain. Not really having much of an argument for people saying she's not doing enough for Britain. Just like, oh, I was shattered into pieces by Saturnine. Well, they, they don't care about that. <laughs> you know, they really, really don't. And you know what? You've been back a little while now. And instead of going to Britain, the nation that you represent... You spent your free time getting fitted for an ugly outfit by Jumbo Carnation. So maybe Ruben's right. I, I don't want to see that ever printed on a t-shirt, but, uh... I mean, it's hard to argue. Um, and man, every time we read this, I'm reminded that X-Factor's going away, Cable's going away, and this is not. 
and we've got Kavanakaba and Otherworld, and that's it. Well, at least it's pretty. It's a very, very pretty book. It, it always has been, and uh, as long as Marcus Toe is on it, it always will be. So that I can give it. But at the risk of repeating myself over and over and over again about how little I care for the rest of this book, I think I'll just put a pin in it right there. Um, is this a vital chapter of the Hellfire Gala? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. And I mean, not to, not to continue here. Not to continue, but the Excalibur books that took part in any crossovers always seem like they're more interested in pushing Excalibur's agenda forward and not playing not playing ball with the rest of the line. We saw it over in uh, X of Swords, where the Excalibur issues were very Excalibur-centric, where we had an issue of X-Factor over there that featured one member of X-Factor and not anything really X-Factor-related. The other books just seem more willing to play ball and to take part in these events and put their stories kind of on the back burner. We don't get that with Excalibur. With Excalibur, it's Excalibur first, and if we're part of a crossover, it's like, well, yeah, that'll be the dressing. You know, that'll be the uh, that'll be the parsley on top of it. I don't know if that's the best way to do this. It's kind of the half-pregnant sort of thing. Um, if you're going to be part of a crossover, then damn it, be part of a crossover. But that's all I got to say about that. I promise I'm done piling on for now. Uh, from here, let's hop into our mailbag. As this is our July premiere, we do have a few letters to get to, so let's do that. We're going to start with Damien talking about Children of the Atom number two. He says, You're not wrong in finding this issue repetitive, but I felt a little more positive about the issue than you. Part of it is my love for Vida Ayala's New Mutants, which means I'm definitely giving them the benefit of the doubt on this book. I'm willing to trust that this is going somewhere. I hope you're right. And I hope before it does get there that I actually start to care about these characters a little bit more. Um, it just feels like... It feels kind of like an afterthought, and maybe that has a little bit to do with uh, kind of knowing how the sausage is made and how this book was originally solicited uh, before um, X of Swords, even. So that tells me that... I don't know, maybe it's not an urgent story. Maybe it's not really time-specific. It could be a story that could happen anywhere, which makes it feel... Less important? I, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, Damien continues. I'm also on board with Lila being older. She was always meant to be older than Sam, and he and the rest of the New Mutants seem to be written as 30-ish now, so it makes sense for Lila to be 50. Claremont really liked a creepy age gap romance. See also Betsy and Cypher and Kitty and Peter. Weird. Now, this is a reference to uh, Lila Cheney having been... A, uh, a performer that one of the Kota kids' parents liked to go to concerts for, which would put that uh, at, you know, 20 or so years ago, which would make Lila a fair amount older than uh, her peers or her, I wouldn't say cohorts since they're not cohorts, but made her seem a little bit older than I thought she'd be, which either told me that, uh, you know, it's Marvel sliding timescale, we're not supposed to think too hard about it, or that uh, she is definitively, you know, quite a bit older than Sam Guthrie, who she dated, you know, which, to Damien's point, Claremont uh, did not shy away from uh, the creepy <laughs> age gap romances. Uh, Damien continues, By the way, I heard the Dakota Kids as Dakota Kids throughout this episode. I'm presuming that's a spinoff from the old Dakota North Power Pack crossover. That was written by Terry Austin and drawn by Will Spertasio, so it's almost an X-book. Oh man, I forgot all about that back in the day. 
it's funny, Dakota North, uh, I first came across Dakota North while I was reading ElfQuest. The, uh, I mean, she wasn't in ElfQuest, of course, but um, ElfQuest was one of the first titles that I ever collected with the intent of, you know, collecting it. And the house ads for that era, you know, you had some notable standouts. You know, they were pushing the new universe a lot. Uh, we had Dakota North, which I think I thought was part of the new universe initially, since her, since her ads kind of looked similar to those of, like, Justice and stuff like that. But I remember thinking that she was a much more important character than she ever actually was. <laughs> and so anytime I see a mention of her, it, it kind of it kind of tickles me and it kind of reminds me of uh, my simpler days as a comic fan. And uh, the weird perception you have when you don't have any context other than like this small smattering of books and whatever the ads in those smattering of books tell you is uh, the next big thing. So yeah, Dakota North was... I don't know, I always thought she was going to be bigger than she actually turned out to be. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until Mystique uses Flambe to burn the island down, make my next lapsed. Well, we might not have to wait much longer, huh? Right now I'm looking at the cover of Marvel Free Previews number 13, July to September shipping product, and uh, that's our Inferno number one cover, which it's surprising that the X-Men are actually getting a cover here, so... I feel like that doesn't happen very often, and despite warnings to the uh, to the contrary, I did flip through this previous thing, and we're going to get into this month's previews in just a little bit, but in big print here it says the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men begins here, so I wonder if we're uh, heading to an end point. I really uh, wonder if that's uh, where we're headed, or if we're maybe just at the next leg. I guess that'll all remain to be seen, but uh, whatever the case, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future brings us. But thank you so much, Damien, for writing in about Cota number two. Next up, a strange letter in the context of what we do here. This is a non-spoiler discussion of a book we haven't covered yet. This is X-Factor number 10. Now, folks know, who know, (laughs) that there is a big thing that happens in that book, which was... Spoiled by Marvel and everyone who thinks that they are a news outlet uh, immediately, as soon as it happened. And I complained a lot about this to Chris Bailey, and so he decided to pop in and find out what the hubbub was all about. And he he has thoughts. They're not, they're not spoiler-specific, but he had some thoughts, and I figured I would share them here with you all, which is a different thing, that stuff that we don't usually do. You know, talk about a book we haven't yet actually covered, but... The way that this letter goes, it doesn't have, doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the issue itself. It's more a, uh, it's more a look at the tone and uh, the spoiler, you know, uh, without spoiling it. So I think this could be an interesting exercise, and we can revisit once we do read it and see what our feelings are. So Bailey says, so I read the super big X Factor number ten, and I have a few callouts as a passive X reader. Number one, this is a terrible book. A book full of characters I either don't know or can't stand with zero, and I mean zero, action. Well, yeah, you know, the first time I read X-Factor, as folks who've listened for a while will know, I wasn't a fan. You know, um, I thought these characters were not characters I wanted to see together. You know, they felt like the... The, like the very worst sort of Alvaro team Where it's just random characters And it's like Look at how silly and goofy these characters are And I, I really didn't care for it It felt to me like very low-hanging fruit An appeal to an audience that I wasn't convinced 
existed. But once I got into it, I, I really came around to appreciating it. The characters, the writing style, the art, everything about it. And as for there not being any action, I mean, that's that's unfortunately not, not a fault of X-Factor for the moment. This is... For all intents and purposes, not even an issue of X Factor. It's, and I haven't read it yet, so I could be wrong. But this is Hellfire Gala. That is what's taking, taking precedence here. It's all about the gala, and X Factor as a property or as a title is kind of just a means to an end. I think. Uh, Bailey continues. This spoiler is very weak in execution. If I read this sight unseen, I would have passed on by without even wondering if this was final. Nope, the artwork is dreadful, and another issue I have with many of the X titles. Now, I haven't seen the spoiler. I don't know how uh, how much gory detail is in it, if any at all. You know, um, for all I know, this could be, you know, just a, a hint of what happens, um, or it could be a full-blown, you know, shot of what happens. I, I don't know yet. Uh, he continues, the covers are unappealing, the entire package is just not for me. Someone help me here. Is this good? I don't get why people are buying this. Well, um, again, the cover, it's Gala. You know, we really can't hold that against the book itself. Is it good? Yes, yes. And unfortunately, people aren't buying it. (laughs) That's kind of why it's going away. I don't know if this issue is necessarily good. I also don't know how much say the uh, main creative team had in the direction of this issue with having to facilitate the big, you know, shock ending of the gala. I would definitely recommend checking out, like, the middle portion of X-Factor, if you do have any kind of inclination to do so. Some really good stuff there. Some good characterization. Really building on established characterization, having a whole lot of subplots. As we've mentioned in our X-Factor discussions here, for such an untraditional book, it's oddly one of the more traditional X-books. It's very Claremontian in the way it tells its story, and in, in, in such, it's, there's something about it, right? There's certainly something about it that, uh, that resonates in me and in a lot of the listeners who really appreciate this title and will, uh, and will miss it when it's, uh, when it's gone. Bailey wraps up with, Is this the same product from Hawks or Pox? It certainly doesn't feel like it. Now that's my old man on the lawn analogy. And, you know, I, I don't think you're alone in that uh, sensation there. Uh, even when I just started this show back in the long ago, people warned that I may not want to continue after episode 12. You know, because uh, Hox Pox, everybody really, really appreciated. Or, or, you know, a lot of people did. I don't want to say everybody, but for the most part, folks who uh, checked in with me had very, very positive things to say about uh, House of X and Powers of X. But they warned that uh, this level of quality was not going to uh, was not going to remain. It wasn't going to keep up this same level of just quality and concept. And uh, you know, I took all those opinions and I figured, okay, maybe I will just do twelve episodes of this and call it good. Maybe revisit down the line. Maybe do some sort of a uh, you know, for folks who used to follow the old Chris and Reggie Patreon, I had that catching up with Chris show where. I would just read a bunch of stuff that had been sitting on my to-read pile, and I would talk about it for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Just, here's six issues of Action Comics, and uh, this is what I thought about them. Kind of thing. You know, not, nothing nothing formal, you know, nothing really structured, nothing really bullet-pointed or noted. It's just a kind of a discussion. I thought maybe we would do that. I got wrapped up in it, and uh, thus, you know, uh, 200 episodes later, we're still here. But... 
the folks who said to kind of be wary, they weren't wrong. Um, a lot of these books have really been treading water and, and kind of just filler compared to the main overarching Hoxpox uh, framework, I guess, for lack of a better term. That's probably the reason why so many folks have uh, kind of walked away and only come back for the events, because they learned, you know? They learned that a lot of these uh, stories in between events are basically just there to fill time, fill months, and get us to the next point. It's probably, you know, another reason why, <laughs> you know, in addition to many reasons why, uh, this show has uh, kind of stagnated in listenership. You know, people were all in on Hoxpox uh, when I was doing those episodes, but... I think I said early on, it's like, I don't expect, you know, um, House of X number five and Fallen Angels number four to have like the same amount of listeners. And indeed, they did not. But uh, no, I think your your point is well taken here that this is quite tonally different from uh, the story that kicked off this entire uh, line of books. But uh, thank you so much for uh, checking out that spoiler and, uh, and letting us know what you thought about it um, without actually spoiling it, which is really, really cool because... Uh, I don't want to be the person who ruins this for someone who's been able to avoid it. So uh, thanks again for uh, taking the time to check it out and for writing in. Next up, we got Evan talking about Excalibur number 19. He starts with, I understood this issue. Which, uh, I mean, for Excalibur, that's that's a pretty big compliment. And the broad strokes of the story, at least. I'm not sure how Betsy went from, I've got to get home, to, I can't return because I'm a failure as Captain Britain. I feel like if they had combined elements of issues 17 and 18, it would have been easier to follow. Although I suppose she had to escape from that other Betsy's life before she could return. And I feel like I missed an issue just reading that uh, that description. It's oh, This is a bizarre book. Um, you know, Betsy couldn't go back to Britain because she was busy being uh, fitted for a dress. So I, you gotta understand that, I guess. Evan continues. I hadn't thought about the sinister connection with Malice, but you may be onto something there. This would have been in, an interesting opportunity for an Excalibur Hellions crossover with the Hellions pressed into service to help track down Malice. Grey Crow seems to have a soft spot for all of his Marauders teammates, although I don't recall if Malice was one of the originals. And yeah, that definitely could have been a story they could have uh, approached, you know, bringing in the Hellions, maybe try to zhuzh up this book a little bit, but. As I mentioned earlier on, I feel like anytime Excalibur crosses over with anything else, anything else becomes the back seat, right? It really, it's all about Excalibur. It's all about pushing the story of Excalibur and not playing nice with whoever um, is taking part in the crossover. So maybe it's a good thing we didn't get that. Um, now, Evan wraps up with, Well, until Wolverine guest stars in Excalibur to investigate a portal to Otherworld in the heart of Madripoor, make mine X-lapsed. Oh boy, that sounds like uh, that's like the most hox pox dox rock socks uh, sentence ever put to paper. I think. I think the only way we can make it more uh, current year X Men books is by saying that Wolverine died four times in the process and had to be hatched over and over and over again. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about old Excalibur, which at least reminds me that I'm not the only one suffering through it. So thank you so much, Evan. We're going to wrap up with a letter from Andrew, who's talking about Marauders number 21, the first part of the Hellfire Gala. He says, It's hard to describe exactly how I feel about this issue. Saying I disliked it feels too strong a stance. Really, I guess I just found it boring. It really didn't do anything for me at all. I suppose my strongest feeling was one of disappointment, because I figured Jerry Duggan would have at least made me feel somewhat engaged. 
but I wasn't. I get that this was supposed to be our first taste of the gala crossover. Perhaps it was even conceived to be the appetizer to our gala's main course. And now that I think about it, yeah, that sounds just pretentious enough to be true. I'm sure this was talked about in the writers' meetings as being the hors d'oeuvres of the crossover. But I feel that every comic issue should stand on its own as a story, and this, to me, was not a story. It was a collection of disparate scenes that ended eventually and somewhat abruptly. The jump cut to after the big something was obviously supposed to get the audience excited about the whatever it was, but it just cemented to me that nothing really happened in this issue, and I kind of wasted my time reading it. At least it was short. And I think I refrained from, like, really commenting on this issue when we read it because I took it, you know, kind of like you put it there. It's, uh, it's the hors d'oeuvres, right? It is the appetizer. It's the stage setting and really just there to kind of branch everything else off of. Uh, I, men- I think I mentioned during that discussion that I didn't know how this would be collected. I'm assuming that it's going to be collected in the you know, easiest, most lazy way possible, just as issues, right? We'll get, it'll start with Marauders number 21, then it'll go to X-Force number whatever, and then to Hellions number whatever. I was wondering if they were going to do it like is a real-time thing. I don't even know if that would be possible. That would take a whole hell of a lot of coordination, right, to make sure that pages ended right where they needed to so they could be fitted in between two other pages. Like we can take three pages from X-Force and put it into in between two pages of Marauders and, and make it fit and make it flow and we actually get the, the evening, right? We actually can see the evening happen as it happens. And, I mean, if they were to put something like that out, I would probably actually buy it and reread it, and then we could uh, we could discuss it from a whole different angle. I don't see that happening. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I'm I might be the only person on the planet who would want that. And Marvel's been making it more and more clear as we go on here that uh, I'm not their target demographic. So I'm not thinking that that's going to happen. But when we read this first issue, I I kind of hesitated from taking a firm stance on it myself because. This is not a story, right? Um, I think I compared it to X-Men Prime back from uh, when we got back from the Age of Apocalypse, where it was just a series of vignettes trying to set the, uh, set the table, right? So if we wanted to know where everything stood at this very moment, bada-bing, bada-boom, there you go. And if you were interested in where X-Force was going to go, you, you pick up the issue of X-Force. If you were interested in where X-Factor is going to go from here, you pick up the issue of X-Factor. That's kind of how I took this. And, uh, I mean, as such, I guess it was successful. I, I mean, I'm not the right person to ask since I am a completionist, right? If there's anyone out there listening who isn't a completionist, who may, you know, give and take comics as they are, you're, you're far more better well-adjusted on this planet than I am. But if you read Marauders number 21 and you don't have the inclination to buy every single X book out there, did it work for you? Did it did it make you want to go out and buy other books that you wouldn't otherwise? Did it make you want to avoid books that you're currently reading? Did it not change anything at all? I mean, that would be the true metric of how successful this is as an issue, because as a story, we can't really grade it, right? Because it's, as you mentioned, it's a series of vignettes, not really a story. But anyway, back to Andrew's letter here. He says, I'm in the minority since I don't read Marauders, but not because I think Duggan's writing isn't good or that the book is bad. I just don't find the storyline that interesting. This issue, however, wasn't very good in my opinion. I expected more out of Duggan, and so I was disappointed. 
Not a great start to this crossover, but for what it's worth, I enjoyed the next two parts of the first week's releases better. And those were uh, X-Force and Hellions, and uh, yeah, I, I, I mostly agree. I, I don't remember exactly how I felt about X-Force. <laughs> I figure we'll probably revisit that when we get to Wolverine, but uh, Hellions was a blast, and Hellions is always a blast, so I definitely enjoyed that one uh, much better than, well, probably anything so far. Anyway, Andrew wraps up with, So until we get an even stranger Avengers lineup, seriously, Cap, Blade, Ghost Rider, Thor, and She-Hulk? <laughs> Make my next lapse. Well, yes, uh, that is an odd assemblage of Avengers, isn't it? I didn't know the Avengers were going to go Alvaro, but uh, they did. How about that, huh? <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for writing in and sharing your thoughts about the first part, the appetizer for the Hellfire Gala, and I definitely look forward to hearing further thoughts from you on how this whole thing shakes out. So thank you so much. Now, since this is the first episode of the month, we got Marvel previews. Oh man, as if this episode hasn't dragged on long enough as it is. So uh, we are looking at Marvel previews number, I want to say, 12? Yes, 12. And on the cover... It's the Fantastic Four's 60th anniversary, uh, Fantastic Four number 35. Uh, John Romita Jr. is back, which I suppose mileage may vary on J.R. J.R. Uh, I am I'm a fan of his work. I, I can definitely uh, appreciate and admit that it isn't what it used to be, but it's still something of a, of a comfort food for me. I, I will always enjoy seeing it. The back cover. We get yet another Black Panther number one. Which, um, what's the definition of insanity again? I mean, if it didn't work the first 15 times? Uh, I don't know. Now, John Ridley is the writer, and apparently this is a big deal. I didn't look up who he is, so, I mean, I don't know. Our inside front cover has a Trial of Magneto number 1 advertisement. And the first X-Book we'll be looking at is X-Men, colon, The Trial of Magneto number 1 of 5. It was by Leo Williams and Lucas Wernick, $5 cover price. The blurb is the story that will shake Krakoa to its core. So, one of the stories, I suppose, that will shake Krakoa to its core because, uh, well, the very next issue of Marvel Previews has Inferno in it, and I think there's also an Onslaught thing in there, and uh, we're doing a, a whole lot of shaking going on. Um, now, our, our little uh, blurb here is a horrific murder, a shocking revelation, a trial that will divide the new mutant nation. Leia Williams and Valerio Shidi... Oops. Uh, bring you a new epic that threatens the reign of X and will upend the world of mutants. The truth is hidden, the danger is far from over, and the trial has begun. So yeah, um, I don't know who edits the Marvel previews, but uh, yeah, they had the wrong artist in there. The original artist that was put on this, uh, Valerio Shidi, but uh, it's changed to Lucas Wernick. Now I'm looking forward to this kind of in spite of it. Uh, as I mentioned here... We're getting a lot, we're getting just bombarded with stuff that's going to shake Krakoa. That's going to threaten the reign of X, it's going to threaten Krakoa, and it's, it, this is a lot, right? I mean, it's the whole famine to feast and back to famine thing. We spend all these months kind of just, you know, circling the drain, treading water, trying not to sink, and then it's like, well, here's Inferno, here's Onslaught, here's Trail of Magneto. It's just a, a lot. <laughs> It really is, and when everything is being touted as being the most important, then really, what is? It's kind of, it's kind of tough. Uh, next, we got Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood, number one of five. 
written by uh, Tom Taylor, Ed Brisson, and James Stokoe, or, and uh, with art by Wills Potasio and Phil Noto, $5. Probably more creators in there, but these are the ones that were listed. The, uh, the headline is, Like a classic black-and-white movie, but with way more blood. Who's black and white and red all over? Three blood-drenched tales of violence and mayhem led by Marvel's mirthful mercenary himself, Deadpool. You want to see today's top talent take it to the hilt and bring you the wildest Wade Wilson adventures yet? Then this book's for you. It's just, it's as plain as black and white and red. And I'm including that one because there's at least one X-related story in it. Uh, We're going to see Scout and Deadpool team up, which sounds like an absolute hoot. Hopefully it gets a, a decent amount of pages so we can maybe give it its entire episode, you know, where we can do a little focusing on Scout. I think that could be... Could be a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. I have that on my order. So even if it doesn't, you know, uh, need or necessitate its own episode, we'll mention it in passing if we, whenever the uh, moment should arise. Next up, another five dollar book, Cable Reloaded, number one. Al Ewing, Bob Quinn, five bucks again. The Big Gun is back. It's a new era in a new galaxy that's under siege from a deadly new threat. But you can still rely on one man. Cable is locked, loaded, and landing on the deadliest planet next history to steal the ultimate weapon and to stop the last annihilation. So, uh, yeah, another alien threat. Um, okay, uh, it's Old Man Cable, of course, so I'm kind of looking forward to how we get here. You know, it looks like it could be uh, pretty interesting. Um, I am still lamenting the fact that we're losing our Cable book. It's 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 a fun book, so... Hopefully this will be worth it. Uh, We still don't really know exactly what's what about this. Uh, Marvel kind of announced this and then took a few steps backwards because I think they realized that they spoiled the end of Cable number 12 in so doing. I guess it'll all remain to be seen. We'll get there when we get there. Next up, not a $5 book, but a $6 book. Now this is Marvel's Voices Identity number 1 by many, many, many people. The headline reads, Celebrating the Greatest Asian Superheroes and Creators from Across the Marvel Universe. The blurb is, Some of the best Asian heroes in comics are getting the spotlight in this special action-packed and heartfelt issue. Shang-Chi, Ms. Marvel, Jubilee, Silk, Jimmy Woo, come celebrate these amazing and legendary heroes from new and established Asian creators that will surely expand the world outside your window. Plus, be prepared for some big and special surprises that can only be told in the mighty Marvel manner. I feel like Stan Lee wrote that last line there because it doesn't mean much, does it? Um, Now, this is a book that got a little bit of flack online because uh, it didn't hit during Asian Pacific Islanders Heritage Month. And so a lot of folks pointed out that uh, the DC got it right and Marvel got it wrong. Um... I really don't have much comment on that here uh, other than to say, you know, both both sides are trying. You know, I don't think this is about touting one and, and pushing one, another one down here. Marvel has been on top of it with this Voices initiative for quite a while now. So, um, I mean, if this is your kind of thing, then, then you know, appreciate it. Appreciate that it's here. Support it. And hopefully um, some of these creators will... Will break out of the anthology format and maybe get their own books, or maybe they'll get their own tries on established books. You know, let's be positive about it. Next up, X Men Volume Six, Number Two, Duggan and Laraz, four dollars. Headline: Always bet on X. 
As threats hurtle toward the Earth from all sides, the fearless X-Men fight a seemingly unstoppable wave of annihilation. But even more dangerous threats lurk in the darkness, ready to strike in secret. More space stuff? Do, do we really need... Okay. Way of X number five. Size Spurrier Bob Quinn, four dollars. This is the way. What happens when the third law of Krakoa is broken? What happens when all other solutions have failed? What happens when Nightcrawler finally finds the way? And our cover features Nightcrawler being dragged somewhere by Onslaught. Now, I think when we finished the last issue of uh, Way of X that we covered here, I was uh, very happy that the Onslaught thing didn't seem like it was going to become like a big thing that was going to take over the line. Still doesn't look like that's going to happen, but there will be... There's going to be an Onslaught issue, at least. I don't know if it's a one-shot or a mini coming out in a couple of months. So hopefully it's written by Spurrier. I, I you know, avoided spoilers and avoided uh, as much as I can about knowing what's coming. So I'm assuming it's Spurrier. So fingers crossed. And uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it becoming yet another thing. But, you know, we got the trial. We got Inferno. It's, I don't know. Next up, Children of the Atom number six. By Ayala and Medina, $4. The headline reads, No One Likes Goodbyes. The blurb, The Hellfire Gala is here, a.k.a. the most important party of the year. Come on, really? Can we, can we be done with the Hellfire Gala? Uh, the truth finally comes out for the Kota kids, plus a heartbreaking goodbye. Maybe forever. Hmm. Maybe it's Maybe we're done? Could we be done, maybe? Boy, I hope I hope that's code for this is a miniseries and it's 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 over. Um, now the cover has gimmick parted from the team, looking like she's about to enter a Krakoan gate. Um, uh, Hellfire Gala in, in a few months, really? Still? Okay. Um, X Corp number four. I, I hope this is still a miniseries. Uh, the first time we saw it, I think it was listed as a five issue miniseries. So fingers crossed. Howard Fochi, four dollars. Headline, Single Point of Failure. The blurb reads, When a deal doesn't go as expected, it's important to be open to new investors. Enter Saline and Mastermind, two potential stakeholders who stand willing to prove their worth. Everyone loves you when you're on top, but who comes through in the clutch? Okay. Any bets on whether or not Saline's story in Captain America or Mastermind's story in Hellions gets mentioned at all? Or flat-out contradicted? I, I gotta wonder, um, because I doubt there'll be any kind of service given to either of those stories here. I, I almost included some of the Captain America stuff in this show, because uh, Celine, I guess, uh, like killed a bunch of humans over there. And that was just dropped off on Krakoa, where she didn't have to face trial, and uh, is just apparently wheeling and dealing with X-Corp now. So, who knows? Uh, the cover is more Wildcats 3.0-looking stuff. Uh, we got Saline and Mastermind sitting on a red couch. Next, Hellions number 14. Zeb Wells, Roge Antonio, $4. Uh, before we even get into it, yay, this wasn't canceled, so that's good. Uh, the headline, The Locust Vile Returns. Tarn the Uncaring and his murderous Locust... Lo- locust Vile, easy for me to say, take revenge on Mr. Sinister and the Hellions... But the Hellions are ready for the rematch. Well, sort of. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Um, I enjoyed their last confrontation with the Locust Vile, and I always love Hellions, so looking forward to it. 
The cover has Tarn and the look as well, holding the Hellions in their hands. So, nice cover. Sounds like an interesting premise. Really looking forward to it. Next up, X-Men Legends number six. Peter David, Todd Knock, $4. Wolfsbane Unleashed. Renegade mutants have taken hostages at the Latvarian Embassy, and Doctor Doom isn't happy about it. And with one of X-Factor's own in their clutches, it's going to be a high-powered, a super-powered battle on multiple fronts as innocent lives hang in the balance. Experience these villains' first battle in the dramatic conclusion to this all-new adventure set during Peter David's original X-Factor run. I'm happy this book is still around. I've still yet to read it. I will hopefully do so eventually. (laughs) Hopefully very soon. Next, X-Force number 22. Uh, Percy and Robert Gill, $4. Headline reads, Fatal Flora. The material makeup of manslaughter has been used to infect and control an army of unwilling agents. Can X-Force get to the root of, a, of the problem before Dr. Bloodroot kills again? I'm not sure this story's even started yet, and it feels like it's been going on forever. Um, the cover has X-Force surrounded by plant gunk and maybe Man-Thing. Neither of which I'm terribly excited for, but I don't know. Maybe with the maybe with names like Manslaughter and Bloodroot, we're trying to really evoke that early '90s feel. I don't know. Whatever. Next, Marauders number twenty-three, Duggan and Zay Carlos, four dollars, and uh, twenty-three issue twenty-three. So we might actually get a twenty-fifth issue of an X book. I, I, could you imagine? <laughs> The headline reads, Screaming into Battle. As new problems face mutant kind in Ireland, the Marauders bring in Banshee for some assistance. Meanwhile, one prominent member of Verendi has their mind changed. Okay, so, a menace in Ireland here. I, oh man, I hope this is the leprechauns of Cassidy Keep. They, they finally gotta come... No, probably not. Now, the Verendi member is probably Wilhelmina following up on whatever it was that the Cuckoos did to her during the gala in uh, Marauders number 21. Now, the cover, uh, we've probably all seen it here. This one went around the socials quite a bit not too long ago. We've got Banshee here. We also have uh, Tempo, and they're alongside the Marauders. And Tempo looks like she's part chicken. She's got, like, one of those, like, uh, crown sort of things, like a, like a rooster has. I don't know. I don't know. Next, Wolverine number 15, Percy Cubit, $4.00. Blackmore's Fight. Now, Wolverine comes face-to-face with Iraqi pirate crime lord Seaver Blackmore. But will their fight lead Logan to the clues he needs to catch Solemn, or put him right where the manipulative mutant wants him? More Iraqi stuff. Uh, I guess I'm okay with it. It's better than vampires, right? It's better than Otherworld. It's better than Madripoor, so... I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, Now, the cover features Wolverine battling, I assume, Blackmore? Now, Logan has a whole lot of adamantium bone showing, so he's likely getting his butt kicked. So, like I said, it's not vampires, it's not Madripoor. I'm okay with it. Uh, Finally, we got uh, a maybe book, Guardians of the Galaxy number 17, which is a Last Annihilation book. We might cover it. Uh, I'm going to order it just in case so I don't have to rush out and find it if uh, if it does come down to being something sword or cable or just X-related at all. So... I'll grab it, we'll play it by ear, and uh, we will uh, go from there. We got a slew of collected editions to get to here. We got the X-Men by Hickman Omnibus. Now, uh, this is probably what's on bookstore shelves in hell, I think. Uh, now, this includes 
X-Men Volume 5, 1 through 11, and 16 through 21. Also, all the giant sizes. And material from Incoming Number 1. What the hell is Incoming? Do I need to get that? Let me know. Let me know. It's uh, 656 pages, $75. Next, we got X-Men The Mutant Massacre Omnibus, which features a whole lot of books here. We got Uncanny X-Men issues 210 through 219 and Annual 11. X-Factor 9 through 17 and Annual 2. New Mutants number 46. Thor 373, 374, 377, and 378. Power Pack 27. Daredevil 238. Fantastic Four vs. X-Men 1 through 4, and X-Men vs. Avengers 1 through 4. This thing has 952 pages and a $125 price tag. So certainly not an impulse buy. <laughs> but if you're interested in it, it's there for you. We got the Wolverine and the X-Men Omnibus, which collects Wolverine and the X-Men numbers 1 through 35, and then 38 through 42, and annual number 1. This one's 936 pages, 125 well-spent dollars here. Wolverine and the X-Men, a wonderful, wonderful series I'd recommend to anybody listening to this program. New Mutants Omnibus Volume 2. This has New Mutants 35 through 52 and Annuals 2 and 3. New Mutants Special Edition Number 1. X-Men Annual 9 and 10. Power Pack 20 and 33. Fallen Angels 1 through 8. Firestar 1 through 4. New Mutants War Children, which came out just before uh, Hoxpox. Uh, it's a Chris Claremont thing. It's a Marvel 80th anniversary celebratory issue that I just found in the bins not too long ago. I didn't even know it was a thing, but I, I grabbed it. haven't read it, but I have it. Also, Web of Spider-Man Annual Number 2. This one has 1,240 pages and a $125 price tag. So you're getting, boy, almost... Uh, 300 more pages for the same price as the other omnibuses. That's pretty, uh, pretty good deal. Next, X-Men The Hellfire Gala Red Carpet Collection, which collects the entire thing and has a $75 cover price for 352 pages. So, Jesus. Um, we also have the X-Men Hellfire Gala Trade Paperback Volume 1, which collects like four issues of it. It's 120 pages, 18 bucks. We got Wolverine by Ben Percy, Volume 2, which collects Wolverine issues 8 through 12. It's 144 pages for $16. Sword by Ewing, Volume 1. Sword 1 through 5, 152 pages for 16 bucks. Finally, we have Uncanny X-Men, The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire Trade Paperback, which collects Uncanny X-Men 475 through 486. That's 312 pages for $35. So... That's the lot of it. Um, let's go week by week here. Now, August 4th, we got Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood, or White, Black, and whatever it is. It's uh, issue one of that. Also, Hellions number 14 and X-Men number two. So if you're just buying Hellions and X-Men, that's an $8 week. If you're keeping up with Deadpool as well, that's 13 bucks. August 11th, we got Children of the Atom number six, Marvel's Voices Identity number one, Way of X number 5, X-Force number 22, and X-Men Legends number 6. So if you're just buying the X-Lab stuff, that's $12 for that week. If you're buying everything, it's a 22 August 18th, Guardians of the Galaxy number 17, which is a maybe. Uh, Marauders number 23, X-Core number 4, and Trial of Magneto number 1. So that's either a 14 or $18 week. Finally, on August 25th, we got two books, Cable Reloaded and Wolverine 15, so that's a $9 week. So 
If you just buy an X-Lab stuff or X-Men stuff, it's $43 for the month of August. Uh, it's worth noting we got two books MIA. They are New Mutants and, thankfully, Excalibur. We won't have Excalibur that month, so thumbs up to that. Now, as if this show hasn't gone on long enough as it is, it is Monday. So let's look on shelves and on Marvel Unlimited for this week. It's a pretty short week, either either way you look at it. Um, on shelves, we got... Uh, well, we got the stuff sandwich here. We got Excalibur 22 and X-Corp number 3, but in the middle of that we got Way of X number 4. So something really good surrounded by other stuff. So so if you're interested in any or all of those three books, uh, well, you'll get them Wednesday. Uh, Marvel Unlimited has three new books this week, and they are Excalibur number 20, Marauders number 19, and Runaways number 35, which we covered here on the show not too long ago. So, three books on shelves, three books on Marvel Unlimited, and I think that is finally it. Um, now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline voicemail thingamabob at 623-396-JERK. Now, for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Join our little group. It's 90s X-Men. We have a lot of fun in there talking about all sorts of stuff, and I hope to see you there. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie Comics commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available everywhere the internet aggregates noise. And if while you're there you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two, yada, yada, yada. I think we're finally done, so I want to thank you all so, so much for allowing me to be an extended part of your day today. We broke an hour. So uh, thank you all so much for uh, hanging out and for your patience between DCBS shipments uh, for these new current year X-Books. It really, really means a lot to me. Until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.